and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hello, hello everyone and welcome, welcome to an episode of the Flying Changes Coaching Show. Um, I am Jenny Winterleach and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Poppy Joshi. Hi Poppy. Hiya. So Poppy, wow. Um, when I asked what it is that you've been up to, because Cassie Gadsby was the one who said to me, you've got to speak to Poppy. I was like, okay, all right then. She sent me this list of these things that she said you've done or you're aiming towards. And I was like, really? Wow. Okay. I do need to speak to Poppy clearly. And then you sent me that same list through and said, yeah, yeah, it's true. There's all this stuff that I've been and done or I'm going to do. Here it is. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, Poppy, and then we're going to get into more detail about what this list includes. Uh, so I kind of grew up riding horses. I didn't have my own horse until I was about seven, but I used to go to the, to the local riding school from the age of about two. Yeah. Got really into horses and then originally wanted to be a show jumper and then had an amazing trainer called Kate Mabley, who then took me down the, the wormhole of dressage and I just loved it. Um, and I did that up until I was about, I don't know, pre-uni. And then unfortunately my horse broke his leg. Uh, and then I went to uni and then I kind of fell into powerlifting because I'd started powerlifting to get stronger for riding. Well, I started going to the gym to get stronger for riding. And then when I didn't have the riding, I just continued on with the strength training. Um, and I'm just about to start a PhD in physics. So that's kind of spark notes of my life. <laughs> wow, perfect. Okay, so we've got riding, powerlifting, physics, and then the next chapter is going to be really interesting. We'll come on to that later. Okay, so, uh, right, so where do we begin then? So tell us a little bit about um, how you got into riding, what you enjoyed, and then we'll get on to all the other juicy bits as well, because you have got an incredible attitude, and we're going to get we're going to get talking about what that attitude is for you. But just tell us a little bit about your story, how it all began. Let's hear about Poppy the child and, and you know, getting into riding and where that sort of took you to begin with. Um, well, I've got a, a bit of an embarrassing story that my mum always likes to tell at dinner parties. And uh, it was probably when I was about maybe like one and a half, two, I just started, sort of learned to speak. And every time we went past the horse, I used to go, I need to ride one, mummy, I need to. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mum actually had horses when she grew up um, so she's she's horsey as well and uh, so she took me to the local riding school which was a, a place called Bridge House in West Sussex um, just outside of Horsham and yeah I mean I started riding a little Shetland there I can still remember going on these little pony rides on him and I just really enjoyed it got into it and then I was saying mum I want a pony I want a pony and eventually she gave in and we got a very, I think we actually only paid the price of his saddle because I went to try him. He was an ex-riding school horse and he bucked me off when I went to try him. And they said, if you like him, just have him. We've just bought him a new saddle, so just pay for the saddle and you're all good. So I had him and he was called Cornflake. And he bucked me off more times than I can count, but I absolutely loved him. And my mum actually got an ex-racer at the same time. I think he was free or very cheap. So we used to go out riding together, which was lovely. Um, and then I had a few more ponies and they would always be tricky ponies because we never had um, a large budget to play with when it came to horses. Um, and 
I had a couple more ponies in between him and then I got a pony called Mavros, who I absolutely love. I still have him. He was very tricky, but uh, he was a show jumper and he was absolutely amazing. I had so much fun with him. And then when I started getting a bit more into it, I started thinking, oh, maybe I don't need to just go fast. Maybe I need to become a bit more athletic with my horse. And so then I kind of went down the dressage route and then I wanted to get, you know, some instructions. So I went to Kate. I actually went to Kate when I had a, a difficult horse and no one could work out what was wrong with him. So I went to her and she got me into dressage. And then I realized that I absolutely loved it because it's not just about trotting around in a 20 meter circle. It's about building an athletic gymnastic horse that is, you know, maneuverable and easy to ride and kind of fun to play with. Um, and then I, well, Kate gave me my first horse, my first Lusitano, Amansor, and we got up to pre-St. George level and started doing all the fun tricks like Piaf and whatnot. Um, and then what else? Um, then we, yes, so then I kind of got into the Iberian scene, absolutely loved it. Went to Portugal, trained in Portugal for a bit. And yeah, that's kind of, kind of my equestrian career. <laughs> Amazing. And you were on the working equitation squads for a little bit as well, yeah, well for a few awesome. years. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and we won't go into more about working equitation because obviously, you know, oh, I love it and I'm on the squads <laughs> and all that sort of thing. But um, I don't want to make every single time I talk to anyone about working equitation all about that, but I happily would. Um, so what did you enjoy about, you know, the challenge of riding at the PSG level, thinking about the horse as an athlete, um, doing the things with them, like the working X stuff where you have to get them to do things and you have to really form that partnership. Well, how did you find that? What did you love about it? Um, I think I've, I've spent a lot of time in the equine industry in various different disciplines and fields from, from working on livery yards to working on like eventing yards and classical dressage yards. I've kind of seen a little bit of everything. And I think one of the biggest problems in the horse world is people don't kind of see their horse as actual athletes. And the, the gymnastics side, make, making your horse athletic and easy to manoeuvre is just when you get on a horse that's been well trained, it's just the most amazing feeling. And that's what I used to love about getting on my horse, Al, is that you get on him and you just, you know, just move your weight around and he'd be like, sure, shoulder in, yeah, half past, like you, whatever. And whenever I see people like really struggling, I'm just like, just need to make your horse a bit more athletic and do more interesting things than just do circles. And so the, you've used the word athletic um, to be the key to kind of, you know, your thoughts around how horses should be and things. But you did mention to me earlier as well that um, you got into powerlifting because you wanted to be more athletic as well. So tell us tell us about your thoughts around athleticism and, and how you got into and what powerlifting is because I thought it was weightlifting and you said oh no lots of people get that confused so just tell us a bit about that as well uh so originally I kind of when I was trying to sort of move up the levels in dressage I noticed that sometimes I wasn't strong enough to hold myself in a sitting trot or um you know to hold myself in for any length of time because my core wasn't strong enough so I thought Do you know what I'm gonna go to the gym gonna get fit and then I'll be able to ride better and so I remember being in the gym and I, one, luckily one of my, my friends, he was a PT at the gym that I went to. And uh, I said, oh, that looks pretty fun. I want to have a go at that. And uh, it was a guy that was squatting. So he taught me how to squat and deadlift. And I think 
squat, bench, deadlift are the most fundamental movements you can do in the gym. They kind of cover everything, really. They're fantastic. And uh, I remember one day when I got a bit into it, I walked up to the squat rack and uh, I remember guys coming over and being like, oh, my God, she's on the squat rack. And I was like, yeah, I can go and lift too. You know, it's not exclusively a men- male sport. <laughs> um, and then by the time I got to uni, I was kind of into strength uh, strength co- training and I got a coach called Callum Barney and he was absolutely fantastic. And he kind of took me as a, as a beginner and coached me all the way through all, all the levels until he, we got to the world championships. And yeah, so I think strength training is really important for, for horse riding, but I also loved it as its own sport. So it's, you kind of get the same adrenaline rush. I think maybe it's the competitive edge that I like. You go onto the platform and it's, just you it all comes down to you there's no my horse might spook at a leaf (laughs) as I'm coming around the corner it is just you and I absolutely loved it so just hearing from you in the last few minutes you've talked about how you've developed through the ranks of the horse riding and through the ranks of powerlifting so what is it about you that means that you don't just do something by halves clearly um, I think I, I mean, I quite like having the challenge, the challenge to be be the best, I guess, is what I quite like. And whether that's maybe not the best, the best I can be, I think is a better way to put it. Whether that's in riding, in powerlifting, in my studies or whatever. I just think if you're going to do something, do the best you can, because otherwise there's no point in doing it. And how has that kind of like helped you in life then? Because a lot of people will agree with that and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, you've got to be the best you can be. But when it actually comes to it and they come across challenges or they come across things that are difficult, they'll either they'll back off or they will kind of change their goals or go, oh, I don't really want to do that. Actually, that's a bit hard. What is it that in you that's meant that you you've kept going, you've kept striving, you've, you, you know, in everything that you've done so far and we'll get on to the and more bit soon, you you just keep going. I think actually a lot of it probably comes down to people telling me I can't do stuff. So if it's in the gym, guys have come up to me and be like, oh, can I can I take your 20 plates? And I'm like, no, I need those. I'm going to squat them. You know, I need those for my training. Bugger off. <laughs> um, or whether it's someone telling me I'm not good enough to do a physics degree or I'm, I'm not a good enough singer to go do an open mic night or whatever it is. When someone says to me, you can't do that, I'm like, yes I can and now you said I can't I absolutely will (laughs) so that that drives you that that idea of don't tell me I can't it drives you and how how does that though get you over the challenges and things because because if they're not even around anymore like if there's someone like close to you go you can't do it you'll go well I'm going to show you but what if it's a random stranger that said that to you and actually then they're gone and then you're doing this thing thinking oh flipping it you know like this takes some doing what is it that, that still drives you to keep going? Yeah, I guess that's quite an interesting question because with the powerlifting, I guess it all kind of started from when guys would see me in the gym and think, oh, she's not very strong. And and that that's maybe one or two times when I was starting out lifting when a guy's tried to kick me off the squat rack or steal my plates for deadlifts or whatever, it stuck with me. But then I think also it just comes down to enjoying the sport as well. If you if you pick something you're interested in, then you're going to succeed at it. If you're not that interested in it, you're not going to put the effort in because you won't enjoy practicing or studying or whatever it is. 
Yeah, no, completely. I think I think you're entirely right that you've got to be motivated, haven't you? You've got to want it. It sounds to me like whenever you start doing anything that that you look at the end goal fairly quickly. Like, where do I want to go with this? You're not just kind of playing at it, although you're enjoying it. Like you say, you've got to enjoy it. There always seems to be like a big end goal for you. It's not like, you know, I'll oh, just see how far I can get. It's more like I want to get to that point. Where does that kind of come from? I think setting a goal is a really, you've got to pick a target. And if you pick, you've got to, you've, well, the way I do it is I always pick sort of a few targets. I'll pick a massive end goal target. Um, say like, I want to go and compete in pre-St. George in the Young Riders before I get too old. That that was my end goal. But then short term, so like say five years before that, I'd say, right, I want to score 70% in a advanced medium or uh, you know, in, in powerlifting, I want to hit a hundred kilo squat before I want to go to Worlds. So I think setting a, a really high level end goal that you're working towards is really important, but not to put too many time constraints on yourself. So if you've got to so then to build, build in like maybe one goal a year that you want to achieve and set out to achieve that one goal, but still with the end goal in mind. So you've got lots of little goals building up to your one big goal. And if you break it down into one little goal at a time, it's super achievable. Yeah. And so that's absolutely the textbook answer. Like, absolutely. That's what we say. Where do you learn it from? Do you think you already knew that or has it come from a particular person or is it just something you've worked out for yourself or is it something you've read in books and gone, oh, that's, that's, that's the way you do it then? Um, I think it's just something that's just always kind of worked for me because I guess the main, the first real sport that I got properly into was riding and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, wow, I want to go and be a professional. I want to compete this and I want to do this. And and I haven't always been in a position where I've had the right horse or been able to get to competitions. So to think, right, I still want to do that, but I can't do that at the moment. So I will aim to do this, which I know that I can do. It is achievable. And so I guess it's just kind of come from that wanting to get somewhere, but not being able to get there right now, but just having to be a bit patient which is kind of unlike me because I'm usually the most impatient person in the world. <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't sound to me like patience is one of the things that, that, that particularly drives you, but clearly you've obviously got enough of it in there to kind of go, I have I have to back off when I need to, take yeah. a step back, reflect, find another way, look for an alternative. And I think that's definitely testament when we talk about the part of your kind of career that you're headed towards now, because you were telling me earlier that, there's something that you really wanted to do, but you weren't able to do it like the normal traditional route at the time. So you've had to find a way to make it happen. So tell us what that is, because it's just fascinating. <laughs> so um, I've always had a love of space and science and I want to be an astronaut. But I mean, it's a very, very hard job to get into. So you kind of have to put it as a goal and then put it to the side because astronaut applications only open once every sort of roughly 10 years let's say um unless you're in the states when they open every year but unfortunately i can't apply for those because i'm not a u.s citizen um and they've just had a recruitment round which i was unfortunately not eligible for because i have just finished my undergrad and i don't have a master's and you had to have the minimum of a master's to apply um so i've gonna kind of had to set it off for another few years and just be patient and carry on chipping away at all the things I know that they'll be looking for by the time they reopen. 
And so you told me that actually you you pretty much flunked maths and physics at school. So yeah. like having flunked maths and physics at school, like I didn't really, I wanted to be an equine vet when I was younger. And then when it came to biology, I, oh, I don't think I really want to do this. Actually, biology is quite hard. So I decided not to. You, on the other hand, went, I really want to do this thing. Oh, I'm not very good at this. And rather than saying, oh, well, I won't bother then, you went, hmm. We just have to find another way so tell us about that side of the journey as well yeah so I had a very very non-traditional route with my studies and I, I do a lot of outreach at uni and I, I like to tell this story to as many people as I can because I think if someone had told me this when I was in school my outlook on the whole process would have been totally different so in school I absolutely loved science and all science biology chemistry physics love the whole lot I was, I was quite good at it. I think I got an A, so I was on, on par for that. Maths, I wasn't so strong at. And I remember asking my maths teacher at the end of GCSE saying, well, do you think I should take A-level maths? I'd quite like to take it because um, at the time I wanted to be a vet and I thought I need to take maths. And she said, if you want my honest opinion, you'll probably struggle quite a lot. And I did my classic poppy and went, all right, fine, I'm going to take it then. Um, and I took it. And I got an E in my AS level and they wouldn't let me resit it or progress on to the next year because they were like, yeah, you failed it once. I don't think it's going to work again. Um, and I got, a, I think in my AS levels, I got a, an E in maths, a D in physics and a C in biology or something. And I'll tell you the reason why that happened. And it was entirely because I had zero actual interest in being at college or studying for going to uni because I just wanted to go off and ride horses um so I dropped out halfway through my A-levels and went to ride horses went to Portugal I went to a place called Morgado Lusitano spent three months there I think and then I went to Miguel Rial's yard and spent three months there and I absolutely dro dropping out halfway through my A-levels was the best thing I could have done because while I was out in Portugal, I did quite a lot of thinking about whether I'd return to studying or not, whether I wanted to be in the equine industry forever. And in my time in Portugal, if I was going to be a professional equestrian anywhere, I'd go back to Portugal or go to Europe, I think, because it's, it's a very cutthroat industry here in the UK. Um, and it's, uh, it's just so different in Europe. And while I was out there, I kind of was reflecting and I'd still read physics books, like pop physics books. And I just kind of thought, do you know what? There are people, so I'm, I'm half Indian and I kind of thought, you know, there are people, probably relatives of mine back in India in, in these small villages and they would absolutely bite their arm off to have an education. And I'm just throwing it away because I want to go and ride horses when actually I could probably do both at the same time. So I came back and I did a bit more horse stuff um, I went to work for a few other people, set up my own thing in Cornwall, starting and training horses, and I absolutely loved it and enjoyed it all. Um, but at the end of the day, I was still having kind of, there was a, a niggling, there was something inside me which wasn't quite satisfied, and that was the academic side of things. So I decided that I would go back to college, and I went back, and I resat my physics A-level, and uh, upped it to a C, so made progress there. Uh, but it, it was enough to get me into uni and it got well just about it got me into Sussex uni to do a foundation year in uh, biosciences and 
I got there and it was like, yeah, I'm at uni and I kind of enjoyed bioscience a bit, but you know, it still didn't satisfy that uh, whatever it is inside me that wanted something more. And I used to walk past the physics department on the way to my biology lectures and be like, oh man, I wish I was smart enough to study physics. I love it so much. And and I was looking for, for internships and I was looking at all these physics internships. And I, I was talking to one of my friends and she said, Poppy, you're not even studying physics. Why are you looking at physics internships? Shouldn't you be looking at biology or chemistry based things? And that's when I kind of thought, oh, right, I'm studying the wrong subject here. I really am. So I emailed the School of um, Physic, Maths and Physical Sciences at uni and said, I really, really love physics. I'm terrible at maths and rather average at physics, but I promise you no one will work harder than me in this year if you let me come and study. And I had to go and have an interview with um, a lovely lady called Jackie Grant, who's one of the best lecturers I've ever had. And I remember standing at her whiteboard and, and she asked me to, to add some fractions and it was like a half and a half. And I got so, such stage fright that I couldn't remember how to do it. I was like, oh my God, I don't know the answer to this. I was proper panicking. She was like, calm down. I'm pretty sure you know how to add a half and a half. Um, and then we had a chat and she said, you know, if you want to do the foundation year, I'll sign you up for it. And so that's what I did. I thought, you know what, one extra year to then have a career in something that I love for the rest of my life is a very, very small price to pay. So I did the foundation year and I worked my absolute socks off and got got first and but in the first term I was kind of getting you know like 50 60 percent because I hadn't quite figured out how to study it and then by the end of it I was getting like 90 in all my exams and I just thought wow I never knew that I was capable of of achieving that well academically when I look back at how I was in in college and school um so yeah and then after that I just continued to work really hard and um yeah I'm gonna do a PhD now so <laughs> a very unconventional route yeah and I think what what I was hearing as a theme there is that you didn't know how to learn you didn't know how to study actually and you weren't motivated to do it but what changed was when you realized the motivation and then you had to learn how to study and if we use that as like um a metaphor for riding I think that's really the case for a lot of people isn't it that they they think they're not good enough or they're comparing themselves to other people but they just haven't learned not how to ride but they haven't learned what they need to learn in riding to make that change and make that difference and there isn't a goal for them that's strong enough for them to say I need to learn that bit I mean you must have come across that a lot as well yeah I think when I first started out in dressage I didn't really get it I was like dress to me dressage was like oh you trot around in circles and your horse gets more supple but actually that's not it you need to do lots of gymnastic exercises and when I was first starting out it would be like okay in today's session let's see if I can get one step of shoulder in and then let's see if I can do it on the three-quarter line or on the center line and kind of setting those little little goals that that you kind of chip away at that it's, it's kind of like the mindset of similar thing to the physics like I want to I want to get better so I'll just plug away at the foundations if I can and it's a small price to pay for for the bigger picture when you've got a really nice maneuverable horse yeah for sure and I think that's probably something that really drives you on isn't it is that you you have learned how important the foundations are so you will plug away at them whereas a lot of people will sack that off and go 
I want the fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, if I'm being completely honest with myself, I probably didn't learn how important the foundations were until it was too late. And when I look back on things, I think, Do you know what, I wish I'd spent an extra few sessions working on getting a good trot rhythm because it would have paid off when I'm doing my extended trots and I'm only getting a, a six or, or six and a half, do you know what I mean? So when I've, I've started a few horses since then and when I've worked with them, I've really focused on, you know, maintaining a rhythm and making sure that they can hold themselves, just the really basic important things, which I think, I mean, I was the first horse I'd ever trained up to PSG level. So I think it was a complete learning curve for both of us. And yeah, I think I learned a lot from it. And now maybe when I have a horse again in the future, I'll I'll spend a bit more time on the basics. That's learning though, isn't it? You know, that is learning. And, and often we have to have the mistakes to learn. And as much as you don't want to make a mistake with a horse, like you you have to, that is a part of it, isn't it? And and what have you. Okay, so going back though, because we've we've just hit upon and now you're going to do a PhD in physics and we left it there. However, you are still aiming to be an astronaut. And yeah. again, you've taken a slightly unconventional route in working out how it is that you're going to get there. Tell me what you told me earlier about um, how you, you you managed to find a possible in route there by being, again, you know, just thinking about things slightly differently, which got to be a key to being an astronaut as well. Surely that's got to be a trait they're looking for. Yeah. So I think you might. I'm not quite sure. I think you're talking about my supervisor. So. Um, the man when, with the great name. Oh, the man with the great name. Yeah. <laughs> I'll mention my supervisor as well because he's awesome. Um, so I wanted to, when I was looking for these internships, I put a post up on Facebook, as you do, saying like, oh, absolutely gutted. NASA don't take international students. And uh, my uncle, who lives in Florida, kind of replied and he said, oh, I might know a guy. Um send me a CV and I'll pass it on. And so I was like, okay, cool, I'll do that. And uh, I kind of made my CV as physics-y as possible. I wrote a cover letter being like, I love physics, please let me come and spend some time with you. And um, it turns out he went cycling with the branch manager of Kennedy Space Center, um, who is an absolutely wonderful man called Stanley Starr, and he is a he's moved over to the UK uh, since he's retired now, and he's a a research fellow, I believe, at King's or Imperial. I hope he doesn't watch this because tell me off again the wrong way around. <laughs> but um, he's an amazing man, and he took me. I went to NASA, visited him there. He kind of you know showed me around everything, all the different kinds of labs. So we saw the biology labs, the chemistry labs the uh you know the labs where they're working on tech like rocket technologies and out to the launch pads saw the crawlers you know saw absolutely everything and the, the one thing that I took from that so I visited him just before I was about to start my foundation year in physics and the one thing I really took from that was just how passionate all the scientists were about their work I've never met more passionate people than I have when I went there I, I can't remember the name of the biologist that I met, but he, wow, he loved his work. And it was incredible to see such passion from someone that's been in their field for 40 years or whatever. And I thought, wow, if they're really enjoying it. And I'm definitely still going to enjoy it by the time I get there. Um, yeah, it was just absolutely amazing to to see the research of the people that are actually driving the space industry, like 
these are the guys that are working on sending things up to space and sending people to space. It's, it was amazing. And um, so Stan, Stan actually worked on all of the Apollo missions. He, he, he worked, contributed in various ways to all of the Apollo missions. And he, um, yeah, I was going to say something else, but I've lost my train of thought. He's, an, he's just an amazing physicist and he knows so much about so many different fields. He helped me a lot through my undergrad. Whenever I'd be writing long reports, I'd always send them to him and be like, can you just read it and send me some feedback? And he'd send me just the most amazing feedback. And I'd always do really well in my long reports. Um, yeah, and you could ask him anything from any field and he'd be like, oh, yeah, so this is because of this, this and this. And I'm just like, how do you have such a broad and in-depth knowledge of physics? It's absolutely incredible. And what I'm hearing from that again, though, is... Um, when you're really inspired by something and you go and see the best of the best, the creme de la creme, you go and see people who are motivated and inspiring and inspired, that that ignites that in you as well. Totally, yeah. I think going and seeing those people that are that passionate, that that many years into their career, it's like, oh, wow, you know, if they're this stoked now, then then they must be doing something really exciting and interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I think if we go to when you were in Portugal as well, I mean, I haven't, I'm not lucky enough to have actually been out to Portugal yet because I, you know, I've always yeah. loved the Iberian horses and things, but I only got into the, the scene a couple of years ago. And in fact, one of those was obviously a COVID year where nothing happened at all. So I can't wait to get out there because one of the things I've been told is how passionate they are so about good. their horses. Yeah. And to go out there and see what they're like as riders as well, that must have had that same sort of effect on you from a riding perspective as well. Yeah, it definitely did. There was quite a big sort of, I maybe got, I guess, culture shock when I went out there because when you look at, I'd obviously worked at a few different yards in like in Cornwall in the UK before going out to Portugal. And when I got out to Portugal, I was like, wow, this is just so different. I mean, there's <laughs> there's, there's none of the bollocks that goes <laughs> with so much of the stuff that happens in the UK. And I don't know, I just I just felt like it was it was about riding. It was about making athletic courses it was you know the whole thing was there was so much passion there and when I compare it to maybe you know maybe it's just because it's rainy and muddy in the UK but when I compare it to somebody else I've worked at in the UK I'm just like how is there such a, a contrast between the two different they're both equestrian yards both trying to achieve the same thing but they're so so different in so many ways um yeah I, I just think that passion when I came back from Portugal I was so passionate I was like yes this is what you know I'm absolutely loving this I want to go through I want to train up because when you go you, you kind of it's really weird you meet people that you think they're like riding school level riders as if you put them in the UK but out there they're like they're still riding school level but they'll be out there doing like tempi changes and piaf and pirouettes and you're like what what's going on it's amazing it's really amazing um and then like, I came back to a yard I said I'd go and work for someone as a bit of a favour and it, it just kind of killed my passion a little bit for doing it professionally which is which was quite sad but it just kind of goes to show the, the massive contrast in the environments you're in even if they're kind of trying to achieve the same thing. Yeah and I think that's a, a, a key point with anything in life isn't it the environment you're in massively impacts your thoughts your beliefs your goals your motivation 
And I, you know, I've always said to anyone, look, if you really want to go and do something, go and get inspired. Go and see the top of the top. See if you can spend some time with them. Ask them some questions. Even if you can't, read their books, listen to their podcasts, do do whatever you can to learn as much as possible about how they got there, what they did. That's why I do these Q and A's with so many different people, like yourself, just to hear. Go and get inspired. Because do you think you'd still be aiming for NASA and being an astronaut if you hadn't gone out there and really seen that? Um, I, I think I'd still be interested in it, but I don't think the, the drive would be quite as high. Hmm. And I think one thing which I, I haven't mentioned yet, but it's only just kind of come into my head, is that when I was younger, I'm so lucky to have an amazing mum who's just kind of gone, if you're interested in it, go do it, no matter what it is. and one way you talk about going to see people that are like the top of the top is if you're really interested in it and you want to go and see it, just email them. Worst that can happen is they're going to say, sorry, we've got no room at the yard for you. Best case scenario, they'll say, sure, book a flight, come on over. And, you know, you've lost nothing and you've gained so much. So it's always, if you want to go and see someone or see how something's run firsthand, just ask people. People are, are way more friendly than you think they're going to be. They are. And you know what? They're often really flattered because even though they're at the top of the game and it doesn't matter how many times you tell them they're at the top of the game and they're this and the other, so often it, they still love to hear from someone go, wow, you inspire me or I would love to learn more because they are so passionate that they want to breed the passion. They want to fuel the passion in the next generation of people, in the people that are coming beyond them. And, and if we look at most of the top level riders, once they get to a certain point, it isn't so much about their riding anymore now. It's about their legacy. It's about training the next generation. It's about helping the next set of people. I mean, look at Carl Hester. You know, Charlotte's his prodigy. And, yeah. and so he's more interested in helping her now than he is in his riding specifically because he wants to see the impacts that can be made by, by doing that. And I think that's, that sounds like in so many ways in your story that that's what's happened for you or you've gone and found it. Yeah, I think, you know, I've maybe I've experienced it on a very, very small scale when someone's come into one of the one of the first years has come into the study space and they've got, oh, I can't work out this problem or whatever. It's like, oh, if, if you come to me, you ask me for help. I'm so happy to try to help someone because they come to you and they ask you for help and they want to learn. And if you get someone that wants to learn all the time in the world for that, so much time for that. But if you get people you know that rock up and they don't really care it's like well I'm not going to help you because you don't really care about it so if you're super passionate and you want to go and I don't know visit someone's yard just get in touch and be like look I'm so passionate about it I love the way you work I love this if you've got any time let me know whenever I'll be I'll be there even if it's for an hour kind of thing you know it, it works I've been very lucky so far <laughs> yeah for sure Okay, so I'm going to ask you some sort of quick fire questions now about something. Okay, no, you'll be fine. Okay, so the first one then is, what do you know for sure? What do I know for sure? Yeah, what do you know for sure? Oh, gosh, that's a very open question. I love Isn't it. it? Um, <laughs> I know for sure that you can achieve anything you want to if you're passionate about something. And I'd say the other thing I know for sure is that don't waste your time with things that you don't really care about. If you're interested in something, even if you're really rubbish at it, like I was with physics, if you enjoy it, stick with it because you will get better at it. Um, I think that's what I know for sure. 
if you enjoy something, work hard and you'll achieve it. Awesome. And what I love about that is the, the, the thing that I always say, which is that passion and dedication beats talent every time. Totally. Cool. Okay. What do people wrongly assume about you? Oh, uh, people wrongly assume about me. Um, I've certainly experienced it a lot at uni. So everyone always seems to think that I um, maybe come from a lot of money or that I have a very cushy life and I've always had a very cushy life. And that can really be that much further from the truth. I had a very interesting, shall we say, childhood. And yeah, I mean, my first pony was basically given to me because nobody else wanted it. And I've just had to kind of put my head down and work hard. And people also think that I'm just naturally good at physics. And then I tell them, oh, actually, no, I, I failed out of maths and almost failed out of physics. And they're like, what? So yeah, that's what people wrongly assume about me. And I think it's definitely shown that you've built something that we talk about so much in life that's so important, which is something called resilience. You know, you, you as much as people that have it, they won't have it handed to them on a plate, but someone that grows into the industry, gets great horses, they're given to them or whatever, and, you know, they, they ride really great ones, they come from money, that kind of thing. Like, that's not their fault that that's the case, and, and you know, fair play to them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if someone gave me a 20 grand horse, I'm like, well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But often doesn't build what we call resilience. And, and and I very much find this in my client base is they then are the people that tend to struggle the most when things get hard because they haven't built that grit, that determination, that ability to fall over and get back up again, because actually things would be very nice. They've been all right. Whereas whenever I hear people like your, yourself and your story, you're always the people that are able to be resilient because you've had to. Like if you want it enough, you've got to make it happen and you've got to overcome challenges and it's got to it's got to happen like that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Next question for you then is what's been your greatest learning that has now been your greatest asset, like the thing you can use the most or the thing you think of the most? I think uh, I was actually thinking about this, a similar question to this the other day, because I'm hopefully going to go and do some um, school outreach soon. And I think it is really the best thing that I've learned in life in my my whole 25 years on this planet is is that if you enjoy something pursue it don't waste time with things that don't make you happy because at one point in my life I was very unhappy with with life and I was very stressed and always miserable and run down and I suddenly realized I am the only person that is responsible for that nobody else is making me unhappy it's my decisions that are making me unhappy so I basically just went this isn't making me happy. This is causing me stress, getting rid of it. And now I'm super happy. So if you're unhappy, there's always something you can do to change it. It might not be an easy decision to make, but you can always make the decision. Absolutely. It's always about a decision. You've just got to make the decision. You may not even know how, just make the decision that something's going to change. Set that intention. Yeah. And I think the, the part about that that really resonated in your story was when you said you were you were doing really badly, you were failing your early levels, it was all going wrong. So you said, sod this, I'm going out to Portugal. Like, it, I mean, when we talk about things like that, when we've been through experiences, we go, yes, yeah, so I stopped doing my early levels and I went out to Portugal. You must have had a lot of people surrounding you saying, you've got to finish your A-levels, what are you doing? This is a bad decision. You can't run away from stuff. You know, you can't just jack it all in and go to Portugal. Your problems are still going to be here when you get back. That kind of thing, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, totally. 
what tell us a little bit more about that element of it then because i think that's really key to people because they hear our stories and we they think we just leave a job and set up a business or just leave our a levels and go to portugal and it's as easy as that you know but it's not you have it the thing that keeps you stuck in that moment is the reason why you are struggling or something's going on so tell us more um so what i would say is that i remember having a conversation with my tutor and and saying him saying you know, you shouldn't drop out of your A-levels, you need an education, it's really important. And he's like, oh, you won't come back to uni if you leave now. And what well, you won't come back to your A-levels if you leave now. And, you know, you won't, you'll go, you won't come back. And my, my parents are separated. So um, my dad and my mum had very, very different opinions on this. My mum, who, who I lived with at the time, well, I still live with that kind of, um, she, she was like, go follow your dreams. If that's what you want to do, go and chase it. Education will always be here. If you come back from Portugal and you want to go back to college, you can. In five years time, when you've done your A-levels, you've done uni and you want to go to Portugal, it might not be so easy because you might have other commitments that you can't just leave and go away from. And uh, my dad was not quite as supportive. He was more of a, you need to go to college, you need to get good grades, you need to go to uni. Um, kind of kind of school of mind so they were very different and I think a lot of people that I went to school and uni with were all like oh are you sure that's a good idea you know um sorry school and college not school and uni um so they were all kind of you know there were a lot of people saying this is a terrible idea you're really going to regret it but my so my mum actually she she pursued a horse career she didn't go to college or anything she went and did horses and then um she later got pregnant with my brother and then decided, oh, I need to do something about my life. I'm going to go to night school, get my A-levels and then go and qualify and be a lawyer. So she she didn't go to college until she was about, I don't know, like 25 and then didn't graduate from uni until she was nearly 30. And she did that all with my my young brother. And I think that's been a massive inspiration to me to kind of say you don't have to do things in the set time that everyone thinks you do. Do it whenever it suits you, you know education's always there amazing so if there's anyone listening to this right now and thinking okay I'm not in my happy place there's things I'm not happy about I don't feel I'm on the right career trajectory I'm not as passionate as you are about something I know what I really want to do but you know I can't be making money from it I mean the big thing that held me back in my story is that I was surrounded by non-horsey family just a bit like you know lots of people say they finally bought me a horse riding lesson at seven you know and went oh this will be a phase and now at 37 I think they finally realized it's not you know having set up a a, a successful career left it all and gone to work with people and horses but you know the belief that I had to overcome was there's no money in horses and and of course we didn't know any different because we we're not a horsey family we don't know of all the different ways you can do this so when there's a belief in place around you that you need to shatter now you do this like daily when there's a belief that surrounds you that other people go you can't do that or that it's not possible where does the fire in you come from to say I think you'll find you can um I, I honestly I don't know it's just something something has always always been there someone's gone I mean maybe it's come from my mum who's always been like you can do anything you want to if you put your mind to it as cliche as it sounds um she's always been like if you want to do it go and do it and if people tell you you can't do it just you know try and do it do the best you can that's all you can do and I think it maybe it's just come from that and even from me from a young age it's always been kind of instilled into me just do your best 
Yeah. And and uh, just had a comment here from Alice. You only get one go at this. If it's something feels right, you just have to go for it. And equally, if something feels wrong and you don't know what feels right, go get inspired. Yeah. I think maybe that's what I did when I went to Portugal. I was like, I need to go and do something. I need to what well, I need to give it a go. If I want to go and be a professional, I need to go and have a go at it. And if I go and I fail or I decide I don't want to do it, totally fine. But I don't want to be in my 40s and go, do you know what? I wish I went to Portugal when I was 16. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So anyone who's listening now, who's thinking, oh, this is me. This is me. I'm stuck. I want to do something different. I think that the key things that we've got for them is ignore those around you that are saying you can't, first off, because they, they're they only saying it because they don't think you can because they didn't. They haven't. They haven't worked out what skills are needed to do it. Go get inspired. Go get inspired. Go and see if the thing you think is the thing you think or not. It might not be. You never know. You might come away and go, no, actually, I'm pleased I didn't go down that route. That's not what I wanted it to be. Like you learn as much from that, don't you, as you do from, you know, you learn as much from knowing what you don't want as you do from knowing what you do. Yeah, I had a a really, really good quote, actually. And whenever I say it to people, they always go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But it's regret the things you do, not the things you don't do. So that basically, you have to listen to it a bit more, but it basically means go and try everything and regret it. Because if you don't do something, you regret not trying it because you'll always have that unanswered question of what if, what if I'd done it, could I have done it? Whereas if you do it and you fail, you know that you couldn't do it. Yeah. I I love that quote. I absolutely, I definitely live by that quote. The the other part to that quote that I live by is, um, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely live by that. My poor husband's like, yeah, she definitely lives by that one. She yeah. just does what she wants to and then goes, oh, sorry. sorry. I just needed to go and do that. <laughs> okay, cool. So so we've got, you know, don't, don't have regrets. Like much better yes, to regret yeah. that you did something and go, oops, and learn from that than to sit here going, oh, I wish I'd done that when I could. And, and also I think the other key here is – age and time and all of the beliefs around that stuff are irrelevant actually you know your mum is a great example of that like just because you're not doing it the traditional way or the traditional time um there's so many options now as to what you can do and who can do and there's so many less barriers again you know you're a female power lifter who went just because i'm a woman like what's the difference there and you know female female in physics and um, i think stem is the technical word now isn't it is the science technology yeah, science, technology, maths, and engineering. What M? What's the M? S no, Oh, engineering. Still not regular English. And you know, and to get women into these kind of things that weren't traditionally there, why not? Why can't we? So, I think to finish off, Poppy, it sounds to me like your ethos in life is: don't tell me I can't. Like, if you think you can do it, just go. Just go and find a way totally yeah just give it a go and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but at least you tried and you won't spend the rest of your life wondering whether you could have done it exactly yeah and life's too short just go and try everything why not yeah you only get one shot right yeah exactly (laughs) unless you believe otherwise in which case great you get loads of shots but you might as well have a go at this one (laughs) cool well if there's anything you want to kind of finish off with or round up with or you feel that you kind of haven't covered that you want to that you want to tell anyone now before we finish I mean, I think I kind of covered a lot of the things that drive me forward and it's just do the things you enjoy. And if, if you enjoy it, you'll work hard at it. If you're not enjoying it, you won't work at it and you won't succeed at it. So 
Yeah. Whether you want that to apply it to riding or studying or sports or other disciplines, you know, it, it covers them all. Absolutely. And have a goal. For goodness have sakes, goal. have a goal. <laughs> big end goal and then think, what do I need to get there? And then set up lots of little goals that you can achieve. Because the more little goals you achieve, the more confidence you'll build and you'll think, oh, I can definitely get there now. Brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Poppy, for your time. It's been brilliant and inspirational. And I'm sure anyone watching this or listening back to this on the podcast is going to feel really inspired today to go and think about what they're up to, what they want, and whether they're they're on the right track to it or not. Because we can end up getting veered off by accident sometimes and thinking, whoa, hang on a minute, how am I here? This isn't where I wanted to be. And you can take control and, and change that. So thank you so much. If anyone um, wants to follow you on Instagram or anything, what's your Instagram? Oh, I'm uh, I'm PJ the Kook because I'm uh, very into surfing at the moment. So I'm Aww. a bit of a kook. <laughs> oh okay so there'll probably be surfing bits and all sorts of my word you have a lot of things cool okay so pj the kook we'll put that we'll put that onto uh, onto the facebook page so that people can see that so thank you so much poppy for everything it's been really inspirational talking to you thank you cassie gadsby for recon- recommending that poppy come on and if anyone else is listening and they think oh, i know someone that should be on this then just drop me a line and tell me and we reach out and, and you get a random message from someone like me going do you want to come and do a live q a <laughs> And Poppy said yes. Obviously, she did because that's what that's what it's all about. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank Sorry. you so much for inviting me. It's been uh, it's been good fun. Cool. Well, take care, and we look forward to following what you're up to in the future and cool. seeing you go to space. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google, and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us, and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone.